0: This is Christian Questions.
1: William Boteker once said, Better to be a strong man with a weak point than be a weak man with a strong point. A diamond with a flaw is more valuable than a brick without a flaw. Good morning everyone and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. We are here to discuss with you, our listeners, thought-provoking and meaningful topics based on the Bible. It's a call-in format. We are very caller-friendly, and we certainly look forward to hearing your point of view. And as always, our perspective is this. We believe that there is one God, and through Him, there is one truth which is found in the Bible. Our purpose is to stir your thinking up along with ours as we continually search for clarity in understanding this one
2: truth. While we are not here to teach, we are here to seriously provoke your thinking according to Hebrews 10.24, which is the theme for our program. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. This provoking is encouraged by Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together. And this provoking is based on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. The only end result we seek to accomplish is to bring praise, honor, and glory. To God our
1: Father and Jesus our Lord. And to contact us or suggest a topic for a future program and receive a Christian Questions travel mug, here's what you do. You write us at Christian
2: Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320, or check us out on the web at www.christianquestions.net. Today is September 13th, 2009. All audio and printed material are copyrighted and are the property of Christian Questions.
1: So, on behalf of Jonathan, my co host. Good morning, Rick. Hello, and Fred, the man behind the board.
2: Good
0: morning, gentlemen.
1: Oh, we, good morning, Fred. We want to welcome you to this hour of our program. And, Jonathan, where were we last week? Well, last week our question was can God be
2: seen in creation?
1: And we had a very interesting program for a number of reasons. We did have a few glitches at the beginning, but got through it. You and I were out of town. That's right. And we had David Stein with us talking about intelligent design. I, I loved the, the content of that program. I loved mm-hmm. to hear about the, the, the things that he was talking about and, and really giving a sense. To me, there was just a sense of awe in all of these little microscopic things that you just don't even know about. And you look at the complexity and you think, there has got to be something of great intelligence behind this. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating. And and folks, um, we are working on getting that up on the website. We're a little bit behind on that, but uh, hopefully we'll have that up by tomorrow. So um, you want to check that out if you missed it. Great program. Can God be seen in uh, creation? What about today?
2: Well, Rick, our question this morning is, are you your brother's keeper? And our theme text is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his
1: works were evil and his brothers righteous. And, Jonathan, it seems hard to believe, but this past Friday was the 8th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on America. Now, if you remember, in the days and weeks following those attacks, people changed. We were all more reflective. We were all more sober. And we were all very aware of our interconnectedness with each other. During that time, it seemed as though what happened to others was really important. And how we could help them was, was, was pressing. I would venture to say that during that period of time, we all lived a collective understanding of what it means to be our brother's keeper. So the question is, where are we now? Are we still just as aware of our responsibility to one another? Do we know what our responsibility is to one another? Folks, stay with us this morning as we look into the elements and the responsibilities of being our brother's keeper.
2: Rick, we only have one question for consideration this morning, and that question is, how does the Bible tell us to care for one another?
1: All right, that's the question. How does the Bible tell us to care for one another? So our assumption is that, to a very large degree, we are our brother's keeper. Yes. So when we ask the initial question, are you your brother's keeper, the answer is? I am. You are, and so am I. So that's an important place for us to start. That's our premise. Now, if you don't like the premise or disagree with that, you can certainly call us at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4, all, we are live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. So our question, Jonathan, how does the Bible tell us to care for one another? One of the things we need to realize, that we're not going to be always focusing on through the program is there are different levels of caring depending on upon our relationship with one another. That's a good point. All right. Let's just rattle off just different kinds of relationships.
2: All right. First would be family
1: obligations. All right. Now, with that, you're talking about you know, spouse to spouse, uh, parent to child, child to parent, uh, relatives, family obligation.
2: Mm-hmm. The next would be care for our neighbor.
1: And by neighbor, we're talking about people that are, are around us and that we are associated with in our daily lives. And the next would be uh, brotherly love. And by that, we talk about a Christian relationship. And when we talk about brotherly love, we think of the, the well, maybe we think of the Greek word philio, which is the word where Philadelphia comes from, mm-hmm. the city of brotherly love. Fraternal love. Right, that, that, that mutual bond uh, of, of, of brothers, And the next would be strangers and those who may oppose us. All right, so now you have strangers and those who may oppose us. And you know you say, well, am I my brother's keeper, and you're going to be talking about those who may oppose you? Uh Uh-huh. What is our responsibility to those who may not like what we stand for? Do we have a responsibility? Those are some of the things we're going to want to get into later on. So let's get started with this, Jonathan, by going to the... Uh, original place where the phrase... And I think everybody sort of knows a little bit of the story. Let's see if we can fill in some of the gaps. Where did this phrase, uh, Am I my brother's keeper, actually come from?
2: Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 12. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth.
1: Alright, so in this account of uh, Cain and Abel, everybody's familiar with the story, you have them both offering sacrifices to God, and Cain's sacrifice is not acceptable. Now, Now, the important thing here, I think, is that God intervenes with Cain because he sees that Cain is angry, and he says, hey, what's the matter? And... God tells him, you can fix this. God gives him the opportunity to say, look, sin is literally right around the corner. It's waiting to pounce on you. Don't follow it. You have a choice here. But Cain, rather than following through on on God's admonition to him, uh, does something different.
2: Now his choice was he could have asked his brother for one of um, the firstborn of the flock to offer as a sacrifice. Is that right? He
1: could have done something else to offer an acceptable sacrifice. But he just decided to be angry instead. And so now he kills his brother. God, again, approaches him. Now, and it's kind of a funny thing. I mean, it's not its not funny. That's a bad word for the, for this circumstance. But, you know, here Cain murders his brother. And God says to him, where's your brother? Now, God knows where his brother is. And and Cain is how do you lie to God? And it's the I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Well yes you do. You were the last one to see him, you know. And, and and Cain's reply is Am I my brother's keeper? What does it mean to be his brother's keeper? What does that word mean? Well the strong's number eight one oh four
2: means to hedge about, guard, generally to protect. Or attend to.
1: I like the, the the phrase to hedge about. When you when you hedge about, you're you're building a wall around something, and that is for the purpose of keeping it safe. So, Cain's real question is, what? Am I the one who's supposed to keep my brother safe? Well, from your own hand, absolutely you are. So, I think there's an interesting place for us to begin with that. Let's look at a couple of other verses real quick here that use that same word for keeper, because I think it helps us to understand. What the implication is. Psalm
2: 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings.
1: Keep me as the apple of the eye. And you've probably heard the phrase, oh, you know, you're the apple of my eye. And what that, the apple of the eye is the center. And you think about it for a second, and you protect your eyes without even thinking about it. We blink to keep them the moist I walked out of the house this morning and I hit a cobweb right be,
2: right between the eyes you know walk out there like oh get it get it out so I I was instantly trying to protect my
1: eyes All right and you didn't think about it like oh wait I think there might be something wrong N- No. maybe I better <laughs> do something about it it's an instinctive protection Exactly when we blink you see something coming towards you and you blink automatically mm-hmm. that's yep. instinctive and and see this is this is in that Psalm 17 this is what's being said is God Protects us instinctively. And I think that I, I get great, great comfort out of that mm-hmm. scripture. One, one other psalm.
2: 116, verse 6. The Lord preserveth
1: the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. The word for preserveth is the same word for keep. So it's preserves, it's protects. And, and I think that this, is, this helps us to understand what is being addressed here. Cain does not follow through on the important things here in in this circumstance and ends up being a murderer and then denying it essentially trying trying to get away from the consequences of his own actions so as, as we begin to wrap up this first segment, so in, in what sense was Cain to have been his brother's keeper, and in what sense was he not to have been his brother's keeper? I think we can determine a lot just from these few scriptures. All
2: right, let's start with uh, to be his brother's keeper. The first is in the context of being
1: co-contributors to their community. All right, because they're both sacrificing to God. So they th- that is... The, when, when God comes back and, and deals with Cain, you see that there's a, a definite ability to have a cooperative effort, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. What else? When the opportunity to help one another to please God was present. All right. So, when in, in verses four and five that you read, um, Abel brought the fat portions, uh, Cain didn't. There was an opportunity to to work together, mm-hmm. but Cain did not even open the door for that opportunity to be helpful or be helped by his brother. And he was
2: to be his brother's keeper by regarding the handling of his own emotions and reactions.
1: And I think we're probably going to be, be parking on that area for some time during the program because one of the things that happens to us is something goes wrong or something becomes difficult, and we react. And when we react, we generally miss the boat mm-hmm. in doing the right thing. We do what maybe feels comfortable for us in the in in the heat of our reaction, but it's not generally the right thing.
2: And he was to be his brother's keeper when his brother's well-being was in Cain's
1: own hands. He had his brother's well-being Come on, let's go out to the field. Oh. He he had his brother's life in his hands and allowed his anger and his rage to overcome him rather than do the right thing and protect uh, his brother. Now let's switch gears.
2: He was not to be his brother's keeper regarding what particular occupation or contribution his brother accomplished.
1: So, it wasn't his business to say, "Well, you shouldn't be a keeper of the flocks. You should be you should be a tiller of the ground like me." That that's wasn't his responsibility. So, he wasn't to be protecting his brother in that area.
2: And he was not to be his brother's keeper regarding personal decisions. uh, An example, who
1: chose to sacrifice what? So Cain made a choice as to what to sacrifice. God said it's not acceptable. And God said to him, you can fix this. Cain was not his brother's keeper, nor was Abel his brother's keeper in the making of that decision. It was their own. And I think those are the kinds of things that we need to look at. And begin to understand as to how being your brother's keeper works. It doesn't apply to every little tiny detail of your life, but it certainly applies to many general areas of looking out for one another because we should and because we care for one another. This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions.
2: Grab your Bibles, don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome, welcome back to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick. We're live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Our, our uh, subject this morning, what should we know about the devil? If you'd like to be a part of our program, call 866-985-4255.
1: That's toll free, 866-985-4ALL. All right, and uh, Jonathan, we've been talking about who was the devil and who is the devil, and we were looking just before the break at Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, which we will get into in uh, just a, a couple of minutes. Well, let's go to the
2: phones. We have Randall from East Lime. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to the program.
3: Good
1: morning. Hey. How are you guys
3: doing? Doing well. How are you? I am always great when I'm talking to you.
1: Thanks so much.
3: 1 John 14. Okay. I write to you, young man, because you are strong and the Word of God remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. And if you go to the Vatican, the official Vatican catechism, because remember I'm a Catholic and we actually do get an instruction manual. Okay. You're supposed to laugh at that. (laughs) (laughs) I was laughing (laughs) silently. A seductive voice opposed to God, which makes them, referring to Adam and Eve, fall into death out of envy. And the two important words there are seductive mm-hmm. because this is all whisper, like it's okay, you can do it, you can commit evil. And he's doing it out of envy. And just their reference there, I'm not going to read them, but it's Genesis three, one through five in wisdom um twenty four. And what Satan is, is he's like a he's like a rebellious child who didn't get to invite it to a party and then tries to ruin it for everyone else. <laughs> And when the Old Testament, I'm really scared. I was I was scared to make this phone call because I'm I'm scared of him. I think he's a real being, and he you know he's dangerous.
1: Well, and you should be scared of him. You're right.
3: When the and I when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and this is from Facts on File, um, its translators chose the word diabolos to convey the meaning of adversity, and in Old English, it's translated as slander or accuser. Of soul. And slander, of course, is the utterance of false charges. So, what I am saying is that what Satan does is slander our souls to make false charges that we cannot live up to our inheritance to God. Because he can never have God, he does not want us to have God. He is the predator and we are the prey. But if you go back to John, but if you keep the word of God in your heart, you can conquer him.
1: Whoa, dude. Well done. <laughs> and
3: by the way, and just for the record, yes. just for the record, and I didn't want to do this, but I going not do it anyhow. I a friend, my, one of my best friend's father um, showed up at an apartment, and, his friend's apartment, and there was a big burnt hole in the living room. And his, friend said, his father said, what happened? And he said, we had a seance last night and something came up that we couldn't control. Oh, brother. And my point of that is Ouija boards are dangerous. All of that stuff is dangerous. These are real demonic creatures, and they are after us. And you have to be really careful when you start playing around with stuff like that.
2: Well said, Randall. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Take care.
1: And, you know, interestingly, he he mentioned, first of all, a number of scriptures we're going to be going into, a number of definitions we're going to be going into. So he gave you sort of a capsule of some of the things we're, we're heading for. But some of the the points there, Jonathan, he, say, uh, Satan is a seductive voice. Mm-hmm. He slanders our souls. He's the predator. and he, it, and, and I think that's the first point maybe we ought to make. We believe that Satan is a real being. Mm-hmm. Satan is not some concept, some philosophical idea. Of evil, Satan is a creation of God that made choices to be self-serving. Became an enemy of God, right? And and that that goes right back. Thanks, Randall, for that call. Uh, great, great thoughts there. Right back to that Isaiah scripture that we read before the break, Isaiah fourteen twelve to fifteen. We won't read it again, but let's let's take it apart and just go through it point by point. What is it that that Satan wants? What does the devil want? This scripture actually tells us. Uh, first point, I will ascend into heaven,
2: he, has, he was already on the holy mount of God.
1: Alright, so he was already in a high and exalted place, but that wasn't enough for him, because he said in his heart, I will ascend into the heaven. So, where he was positioned wasn't good enough in his
2: own mind. The next point, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now
1: think about that, that's what the scripture says, uh, but he was already one of the stars of God. Next point, I will sit in the mount of the congregation in the uttermost parts of the north. I will sit in the mount of the congregation in the uttermost parts of the north. The uttermost parts of the north, if we look at the book of Job, seems to indicate that's where God abides. So he's saying, I'm moving in over there. He had no right to go over there. What else? I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. All right. Interesting. Remember when israel was was freed from egypt mm-hmm. and they're wandering through uh the the wilderness yes what led them by day um the the uh, the, the cloud. cloud by day and, and the, the fire by night yeah so i will ascend above the heights of the clouds it's, it's almost like he's saying i'm going to ascend above the influence of god's presence with man i'm going to do i'm going to go higher than that what else
2: next point i will make myself
1: like The Most High. Now, he's saying here he's not replacing the Most High, but rivaling the Most High. So, Lucifer was looking for a dominion. He was looking for power and authority, and he was looking to usurp that which he had no right to. And I think that's what the core thought here. He was looking to take over something that was not his. He didn't create it. He was given responsibilities to develop it and protect it, but that wasn't enough for him. This incredible pride that he had really, really set things out of whack entirely. So, what does he want? He wants power, and it seems as though he will stop at nothing to get it. That's something to be afraid of. When you've got some some a being or an, even an individual who's got great power, and that great power is corrupt, danger, danger. Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> you know, you just don't want to go there so that's what he wants and and randall said it. he's after us that's right because if you oppose satan b- by being godly then you're not in a good position according to him you're in the crosshairs so that's something to be worried about well rick this brings us to the third question wow we've never gotten through that I question know. that fast
2: what methods does the devil use to attempt to
1: accomplish his mission? And we're going to spend, obviously, the rest of the program here discussing, looking at scriptural understanding of the methods that he uses to accomplish this mission of usurping power. So as we approach the question, we've got to look at how he's described throughout the scriptures because the descriptions will give us a sense of the methods. The way the scriptures work very often is a a name means something. It's more than just a label, it's a description. Right. And so Satan is given a lot of different names. Randall touched on a few of them. So we're going to go through some of these descriptive names for Satan in the scriptures and then pull out from the meanings of those names what it means he is doing. And folks, if you have a thought on what should we know about the are you worried about the devil? Is the devil uh, is Satan is Satan some, some something to you or is it a being to you? Is Satan something to be worried about to uh, to, to hide from? How do you, how do you view that? Give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's toll free 866 985 All we are live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Well, Rick, let's take a look
2: at the first definition of Satan. Strong's number 4567 in the New Testament
1: means the accuser, the devil. Okay, so that's a pretty simple thing, and, and Randall mentioned that as you know, one of the definitions he used, the accuser, the devil. Uh, and that's, this word Satan in the New Testament is, is the proper name of the devil. All right? Let's take a look at a few scriptures that use this, and it, it's sort of like a proper name, if you will. Matthew four verse ten.
2: Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan! For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve.
1: All right, and that is the the event when Jesus was being tempted of Satan in the wilderness mm-hmm. before his his uh, his uh, his preaching began. Mark four verse fifteen,
2: and these are they by the wayside. Where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their
1: hearts. All right, so it's using that that formal name. Satan comes and takes away what was sown in their hearts.
2: Mark 8:33. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, "Get thee behind me, Satan! For thou savorest not the things. That be of God, but the things that be of men.
1: Now that's an interesting scripture because he's Peter is telling him, "Oh no, 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 <clears throat> things are not going to happen to you the way that you just said." And Jesus' reaction to his beloved Peter, his beloved apostle, is, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Now, so he's calling him Satan. Why is he doing that? It's because Peter's comments. We're, we're, we're taking on the role of Satan. He was in opposition of God's will. Exactly. So Jesus knew what he had to do, the things he had to go through. Peter didn't understand it, but he took on as a spokesman the, 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 uh, the position that was actually Satan's position. Like, mm. oh no, you don't have to do that. What did, what did Satan say to Jesus in the wilderness? That's right. You don't have to go through all this stuff. I'll give you the kingdoms. Just bow down and worship me, and we're all good. So Peter was, taking, was supporting that viewpoint to, to avoid the pain and suffering that Jesus, by necessity, had to go through. So Jesus' reaction is, no, 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 that is a thought that is of Satan. It is something that is not good, something that we don't want to have happening here. So that, that's, a, that's an awesome scripture because I think that's the only time in the New Testament that somebody else is actually called Satan, and those, that's the reason why.
2: One more, First Thessalonians 2.18. Wherefore, we have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again,
1: but Satan hindered us. Okay, so you can see that in that scripture, Satan was very much involved in, the, in, in, in standing against the daily activity of the apostles. So you know, when Randall said he's after us, there was something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. The apostle Paul is saying the same thing too. Well, Rick, let's go back to the phones. We have
2: Larry from Preston, Connecticut. Good morning, Larry, and welcome to the program.
4: Good morning. How are you today? Doing well. Great. Good. You sound good. Thank you. Difficult topic, though.
1: Yeah, it's something, huh?
4: Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think the way the evil one operates is that he, he will tempt us and then convince us we can't be forgiven. Okay. And, uh, you, you know, but we have to think about the way... Jesus responded to him when he was tempted by him. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, I believe everything in the scriptures is to help us. It's the instruction manual. You know, what did Jesus answer him with? You know, Jesus referred to the scriptures. He quoted him scripture. Absolutely. Because whenever we're tempted, we only have to think of the scriptures and we'll have our answer what we should do and, more importantly, what we should not do. And, uh, I. I I'm telling you, I, I I look at the world and I say, is the world following God or is the world following the evil one? If we followed the holy law of God, what a wonderful world it would be. But no, we, we choose destruction, we choose death, we choose to build nuclear weapons instead of feeding the starving. Uh, I, I mean, I can't understand that. Uh, and what are we doing in our, you know, in our schools, where we're, we're taking the holy name of God away from our school children, they, they're not allowed to pray, they're not allowed to mention God's name, they're not allowed to carry a Bible. Uh, what, what is so dangerous about that? Who wouldn't want them to do that? <laughs> Lots Who of people, apparently. not <laughs> want children to know about God or to, or to converse with God?
1: Well Larry you're bringing up a a lot of very very important points about how backwards we have become especially in this country in regards to honoring God and goodness and if, rather we seem to just accept evil.
4: Well we we have gone backwards and uh you, you know it seems like we're in the grips of evil and people don't know how to get out of it. There's a lot of power in the name of Jesus Christ and you know I hear people say gee uh I had a a spiritual experience. I saw something, and I said, always test him. If you see something, ask him to praise Jesus Christ. You'll find out in two seconds flat if that's from a good source or a bad source. (laughs) Because, you know, he is the father of lies. You can be deceived. Test the spirits. And that's a very important thing to do because he hates us. He hates us because we're made in the image of God. And the last place he wants us to, to go is where he doesn't want He does it because he hates God. We're really insignificant. But he has such a hatred for God, uh, and that's why he hates us. He wants to see us destroy ourselves. And so I I, I don't know. I, I, I'm very concerned about the world and the direction it's going in, and it seems to be the dug-in against God, and it'll be to our, our demise, I'm afraid.
1: Larry, thanks so much. Thank Good you. thoughts. Take care now. In Interesting points that he brought out. Uh, he's the tempter, and he tempts us and convinces us that we can't be forgiven. Now, see, it's interesting because Larry, Larry was saying, well, you know, the world is, is clamoring after evil and after all of these bad things. And you know, Now, think about it. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody clamor and, and want evil? It's not because you want what you consider to be evil, But it's because we fall into the category of what Satan was doing. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit in the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Get the point? Aye, 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 (laughs) aye. That's really what it boils down to. It's all centered on me. And when the world becomes centered on me, it can't possibly be centered on godly principles. Can't be done. You can't have both. And so essentially... Selfishness equals satanic. Because he was the original one that put things in that perspective. So as we continue with this discussion, next point is going to be, let's look at some more of the names that are given to Satan or the devil in the scriptures. What do they mean? What are the things that he does to try to get us off track so he can accomplish the things that he sees as important that are obviously very, very ungodly. This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions. What should we know
2: about the devil? Stay with us. You're listening to
0: Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick. We're live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Our subject this morning, Are You Your Brother's Keeper? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985
1: all And Jonathan, we are looking at, uh, just before the break, we were talking about edifying one another. And that word means It has to do with architecture and structure and building something strong and sound. And we read a scripture that talked about do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And you think, well, wait, what are you talking about destroy the work of God for the sake of food? Well, in the early church, there was a tremendous moral debate going on about meat that had previously been offered to idols. That's right. And there were some who looked at that and said, you should never eat that because it had previously been offered to idols. And there were others who said, it's meaningless. The idol doesn't mean anything, so it's okay. The problem was that that meat was sold in the markets and you didn't always know what you were buying, whether it was meat that had been offered to Because you know what? The idols never ate, ate it. <laughs> incidentally you know you offer it up they don't take it so okay you take it back <laughs> and you sell it and you make money on it uh, that's uh-huh. that's a whole different story we're not yes. going to get into that part but th- the point was there was a real clash of consciences because there were some who said it had been offered to a to a pagan idol it's not good uh versus um this is something that is important uh to uh to to follow through on because it doesn't mean anything. You don't want to stumble your brother, right? And that was the point of being your brother's keeper. Is look if if you and I are having this debate and I'm the one who's who gets all bent out of shape about it, and you have you have meat that you know has been offered to an idol. But it doesn't mean anything to me. But I'm sitting but there you're, with you. You're concerned about it. And I'm I'm really concerned about it. Uh, what it's, it's what it's suggesting is what should you do?
2: I, I'm not going to eat it
1: because I don't want to. I hurt you. Right, because it it is such a big... It's not just a matter... It's not being a vegetarian versus not being a vegetarian. Right. This is something that has spiritual consequence. And your reaction, the apostle is instructing you, look, his conscience is tuned differently. Respect that. Exactly. Okay, it doesn't mean that when I'm not there, you can't do what you believe to be the right thing. Absolutely. But out of respect for me, where my conscience is different, the apostle is saying, It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to stand up for some big thing. It's his conscience that you want to build up. You want to edify. Well,
2: Rick, let's go back to the phones. We have Julius from Groton, Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to the program. Good morning.
5: Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. What a great topic. Yes, it is. Oh, beautiful, meaningful scriptures. Life and death evolve about, about this topic, I think. Uh, yes, by uh, God's command. We are to be our brother's keeper. The very fact that God asked Cain means that God held him accountable, and he right. holds all of us Absolutely. accountable. You know, uh, I have uh, an, uh, a, an analysis in my mind that i like to share with you, very, very, very brief. Uh, you know, these famous athletes of our day, you know how they can be skillful, Impressive, awesome, spectacular. Mm-hmm. But you know when they become an icon, in my mind, when they uh, reach out and they share their wealth with others. I know some of these uh, famous golfers and uh, uh, whatever uh, endeavor they're in. When I see them giving out millions to help the poor and the needy, ah, to me, that's an icon. Mm-hmm. When, when they reach out to their brothers and uh, the needy people. Now, bottom line, scripturally, uh, you, you have so many meaningful scriptures. Uh, uh, the Word of God is so full of instruction on how to do this. But one that uh, I'd like to share with you in closing is James 1.27. I think it's the last verse in uh, James chapter 1. What is, what is pure religion? Pure religion, the Apostle James says, is reaching out to the widows, to the orphans, and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. You see how uh, powerful James puts it in harmony with your topic and the beautiful scripture you're bringing out. Thanks for sharing God's word. God bless.
1: Thank
2: you, Julius. Take care. Good day, brother.
1: What a great scripture that was. Pure religion is taking care of those who need caring. That's what pure religion is, and and... And as we look at this topic of being your brother's keeper, we got to keep that in mind. That was James one twenty seven. Uh, Julius gave us thanks, Julius, for that. Uh, very, very important. And you know the other part that he said is all of this. We are accountable to God for it. So it's not just a matter of trying to put it in perspective for our own good. That's important. And it's not just a matter of putting it in perspective for our neighbor's good. That's also important. But it's a matter of putting it in perspective because we are accountable to God how we treat one another and I think that's the most important thing in relation to this particular topic. Folks if you have a thought it's 866-985-4255 toll free 866-985-4ALL we're live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Uh, Jonathan let's read one more scripture in 1 Corinthians and then we got to jump to our next subheading. here. And
2: this is in context to edifying one another. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts But especially that you may prophesy, for he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church.
1: And I think this is a, one of those classic examples. When you look at the context of the Scripture, there was a big problem in the Corinthian church because there were the gifts of the Spirit that were given to the early church mm-hmm. that were being misused. And the most common misuse in Corinth was the gift of speaking in tongues. And they it was being done in a very unspiritual manner. And it was done not in a manner that was building up, edifying the brethren that they were meeting with. It was just... It was puffing up the person. It's like you're building yourself up. That's not your job. You're not supposed to be building yourself up. You're supposed to be contributing to those around you. He says, look, if you're going to be pursuing a gift, pursue the gift of prophecy. Because at least that's teaching. That's contributing to the lives of others. But the speaking in tongues nonsense, you're doing it. There's not even anybody to interpret it. So you're just you're just talking off the top of your head. It means nothing to anybody. But it makes you feel pretty good, doesn't It makes you feel pretty important, doesn't it? And that's not the point. So I think that's an important um, point there. Uh, j- just quick, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, then we'll go on.
2: Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing.
1: So edify, build one another up. Be, and and this, this word for edify is slightly different. It means to be a house builder. Mm-hmm. To construct or to confirm. So it's to build one another up. That's our job. That's being our brother's keeper, edifying one another. Next point, point number three on, on, on biblical uh, instruction toward being our brother's keeper.
2: We're to serve one another.
1: Okay, that's simple enough. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at a
2: scripture. Galatians 5, 11 through 18. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are
1: led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So here, it's talking about something similar to that we talked about earlier under edifying one another. It's saying, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Now, liberty means you're free from certain things. And you have this liberty. And there's this freedom. And the human reaction to freedom is I can do whatever I want. And the next line, the next phrase is what? Do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, you got this liberty. Don't get all high and mighty with it. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. We're selfish. Rather, use the strength of this freedom to serve one another. See, this is a great lesson in humility. Mm. Serving, truly serving someone else, once it, when it comes from a humble approach, is real, genuine service. We can do lip service. We can do service that is just doing the right action but not with the right heart. And that person will benefit from the action, but we don't benefit from the service. And part of it is to be able to benefit by being a contributor. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free 866-985-4ALL. Rick, um, that
2: reminds me of um, agape love. That the highest sense of love is giving without expecting to receive back. Right. And, and that's really
1: serving one another. Right. You have this great liberty and he's saying, don't use it for yourself. It's like, wait a minute, what good good is the liberty? (laughs) But the point is to use it in service of others, and that is actually helping you. And it, it takes a little while for that to come back, but it is something very, very powerful. Jesus did that. And let's take a look at what I think is one of the greatest examples of humble, quiet service. We're going to read some selected verses from John 13
2: got up from the table took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him after he had washed their feet he had put on his robe and he had returned to the table and he said to them do you know what i've done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for that is what i am so i your lord and teacher have washed your feet You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are masters greater than the one who sent them.
1: Nor nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. I'm sorry, thank you. So Jesus is, this is before the Last Supper, this is the night before his crucifixion. He gives a dramatic lesson of personal example in serving his disciples. Now, who was the Lord and Master in this example? Jesus. Jesus. Who did the serving? He did. What kind of service was it? Was it the kind of service that you would expect from the Lord and Master? It was one of the lowest forms of servitude. It absolutely was. And the interesting thing is that up until that point, nobody in that room, had volunteered to wash anybody else's feet. they like, oh, I'm not doing it. What are you kidding? I know, I'm, I'm third in line. I'm the third one. I have the third seat from Jesus. Why would I do it? I'm not doing it. I'm one of Jesus' disciples. I'm not doing it. So Jesus takes it upon himself to serve, and he gives a very poignant, very powerful lesson of, I am your Lord and Master, and I am willing to serve you this way. This is how you should treat one another. This is how you should be your brother's keeper. These are the kinds of things you should be willing to do out of the goodness of your heart. Let's read one more scripture on this before we wrap up this hour.
2: Mark ten forty-three and 45. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served,
1: but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus again here in, in Mark is giving us the, the, the real clear example of how important it is for us to be in a in a posture of service. And again, Jonathan, when you're blessed with liberty and great things and oh, the, the, the humility of that kind of service doesn't doesn't seem to go at first glance. But when you examine what Christianity is really supposed to be about. Those things go together better than, better than peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> All right? I mean, they're just a natural combination that belong together. So, folks, in the first hour, we're talking about being our brother's keeper. We talked about receiving one another. That's taking, one, taking others to oneself. We talked about edifying one another, helping to build a structure of their lives. And the third point... In this first hour was serving one another and being humble the way Jesus was. And the second hour will continue. We'll also spend a few minutes looking at 9-11. For Jonathan and Rick, this is Christian Questions. We'll be back after the news and all of that. But until then, are you your brother's keeper? We'll be back soon. Think about it.
0: Christian Questions.
1: Somebody once said that the healing power of kindness extends across the borders of faith. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. We're here to discuss with you, our listeners, thought-provoking and meaningful topics based on the Bible. It's a call-in format. We are caller-friendly and we look forward to hearing from you. And Jonathan, what is our topic this morning?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, are you your brother's keeper?
1: And we are going through uh, a number of scriptures on that. We're going through a number of points on that. Let's before we get back to recapping all that, let's just take care of business first.
2: Sure. Our listeners can check us out on our website. That's ChristianQuestions.net. And if you're listening live on the net, be aware that there is a short delay. There are many archive programs to listen to. And if you have any questions or comments, that's the best way to get in touch. Again, that's ChristianQuestions.net.
1: And I also want to remind you that we are a little bit behind on the uploading, uh, especially of last week's archive. We're working on that. We apologize. Uh, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's where we are. Can I tell you? <laughs> All right, Jonathan, we're 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 looking at are you your brother's keeper? There were there's actually nine points we're going to try to get to this morning. What were the first three that we talked about of biblical instruction as to how to be our brother's keeper? Well, Rick, we're to receive one another. Okay, that means to take to oneself. We're to edify. One another, and that is really the word. Literally, has something to do with architecture and building. We're to literally help to build the life of our of our brother.
2: And Rick, we're also to serve one another.
1: And we looked at that just before the break, and uh, looked at that in the st- from the standpoint of the great humility of Jesus' own example. Now, the fourth point is we're to bear one another's burdens. I want to mention the fourth point before we discuss it, because one of the reasons we chose this subject for this weekend is because it is. Uh, another anniversary of the 9/11 terrorist attack, and I think that being one another's keeper came out post 9/11. It really did. There was a sense of community that just was dramatic, and the bearing of one another's burdens, the willingness to stop and consider instead of run right by, was was prevalence. And you see that, and you think, wow. It's such a sad thing that, A, the tragedy has to happen, Mm -hmm. but, B, that it takes such a tragedy to bring such goodness out.
2: That's right. A lot of care and concern was on everyone's heart at that time.
1: And, uh, again, while we're not a a political program, 9-11 was one of those things that affected everyone. And, uh, you know, this, this was a murderous attack on innocent people. And we just want to take a few minutes and and pay some tribute of respect to the events uh nine eleven so Fred, do you have that all queued up that um that that c d There is a um a song by Alan Jackson that uh, we just want to, want to play for you, give you a sense of sort of sitting back and reflecting because it fits so well it fits so well in the context of being our brother's keeper. And the song asks a lot of questions. Where were you? What were you doing? What were you thinking? What did it cause you to think? What did it cause you to do? So let's, let's go through and just listen to that to reflect on being our brother's keeper. So Fred, um, okay, not quite yet. All right. Um, so Jonathan, while, while he's getting ready, let's actually read the Galatians 6 uh, scripture. Galatians 6, 1 through 7. Brethren,
2: if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you are also tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who has taught the word share it in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap.
1: And we're going to get into the details of that scripture uh, momentarily. But for now, folks, just sit back and reflect on the events of that day and uh, where you were, because I'll bet you know where you were, what you were doing. I'll bet you remember your reaction. You can still feel your reaction. And it's something that it's important to not forget. It's important to, to um, uh, not let those details of our lives go unnoticed. To hold them and learn the lessons from them. So listen.
0: Where were you when the world stopped turning? That September day Were you in the yard With your wife and children Were working on some stage in LA Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you shout out in anger And fear for your neighbor Or did you just sit down and cry Did you weep for the children who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble And sob for the ones left alone Did you burst out with pride for the red, white, and blue And the heroes who died just doing what they do Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer Look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN but I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in Iraq and Iran But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us And the greatest is love Where were you when the world stopped turning On that September day Teaching a class full of innocent children Or driving down some cold inner stone. Did you feel guilty Cause you're a survivor In a crowded room did you feel alone Did you call up your mother And tell her you loved her Did you dust off that Bible at home Did you open your eyes And hope it never happened Close your eyes and not go to sleep Did you notice the sunset First time in ages to speak to some stranger on the street Did you lay down at night and think of tomorrow Go out and buy you a gun Did you turn off that violent old movie you're watching And turn on our love and reruns Did you go to a church and hold hands with some strangers Stand in line and give your own blood Did you just stay home and cling tight to your family? Thank God you had somebody to love. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young A hope and love are some good things He gave us And the greatest is love I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN but I'm not sure I can tell you and I rock and I rain But I know Jesus And I talk to God And I remember this From when I was young Faith, hope, and love Are some good things He gave us And the greatest is love And the greatest is love And the greatest is love were you when the world stopped turning on that September day?
1: Again, that's Alan Jackson. Where were you when the world stopped turning that September day? And Jonathan, it really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It sure does. It gives you a sense of the reality of having to deal with and having to... Um, cope with such a tragedy but it also gives you a sense of the responsibility one to another and i think that's such an important thing let's get back to our scriptures and <clears throat> we're you read before the song jonathan galatians 6 1 through 7 and i think this scripture helps us to define and determine what being our brother's keeper how it really is supposed to work
2: we're to restore um one another in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ.
1: Now the the question here is okay, you're supposed to bear one another's burdens, and then later on in the scripture it says for each one shall bear his own load. In the King James Version it uses the same word. It says burden. Um and so the question is, well what does it mean to bear one another's burden and then to bear your own burden? It sounds like it's repetitive, but it's actually helping us to determine how we should be our brother's keeper.
2: The word burden, Rick, is Strong's number 922, and it means weight or a load, as you mentioned. And the other word uh, burden, Strong's number 5413,
1: means an invoice, a task or service. All right, now let's take a moment on that because the, uh, this, I think, is a profound truth that we need to really focus on and understand. The word where it says "you also ought to, you ought to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ," that word literally means a weight or a load. Mm-hmm. Okay, when it says you should bear your own burden, it literally the word literally means an invoice. That's right. Okay, and I think this is helping us understand where we are to be our brother's keeper. And what's not our business. Being our, and, and the illustration that I like to use on this scripture is the illustration of a backpack. Okay. Okay. Let's say that I'm carrying a heavy backpack. All right. I've got a heavy load. That's, that's what I'm carrying through my life. And you're my friend. hmm And you see me carrying this heavy backpack and you say to me, Rick, let me, let me help you with the weight of that. Let me, let me take something out and, help and, and, and walk along with you and carry it for you. Okay. That's what it means to bear one another's burden. You're helping with the weight. But it's not your job to say, Rick, let me carry the backpack for you, because the backpack is my responsibility. You can help me with the weight, but you can't take away my responsibility. Being my brother's keeper is helping me with the weight. It is not taking away my personal responsibility for my own walk. Does that make sense? It does. And I think this scripture helps us to understand that our job with one another is to help Others bear the weight, and again, the reaction to 9/11 was a classic example of people helping others bear the weight. There, were, there are such amazing stories. I was talking with somebody uh, over the weekend who who knew somebody who was in downtown in, in Manhattan when it happened, and this young lady was was in was downtown Manhattan, and she, you know, saw it happening. She said, "I got to get out of here," and there were things happening. People, hordes of people, just walking. Away from the tragedy to try to get off the island, and uh there were there were vendors that these people were walking by. they were handing out sneakers to people to women with high heels so they could walk and get to where they were going. They weren't saying, "Oh by the way, you owe me forty five dollars for this pair of sneakers that's my cost they're saying here this will this will make it so you can get to where you want to go. You need to get out of here. I know there were vendors handing out water to people walking in the streets they were helping with the with the weight to help those people to get where they needed to go. That, I think, shows us something important about bearing one another's burdens and how incredibly, incredibly important it is for us to help each other out, to lend the hand. It goes so far, and it really costs so little.
2: This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions. Grab your Bibles. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick. We're live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Our subject this morning, are evil spirits and demons real? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866
1: 985 all Jonathan, we're talking about... Darkness—that's <laughs> what we're talking about. We're talking about darkness. Uh, we're talking about its influence in our world. Uh, our call just before the break, Larry had mentioned uh, oppression and possession. Uh, and if you cannot—if you cannot be possessed by a demon, doesn't mean you can't be oppressed by a demon. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. an important point for us to remember. We're spending a lot of time on this possession thing because it shows us. What they do they enter we were talking about that being sort of it could be a mental thing just read Luke 22 three and four as an example of that
2: then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve and he went away and conferred with the chief priests and uh, officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them
1: all right so it says Satan entered into Judas now we know that Satan didn't jump into Judas's body. But the power and the influence
2: swayed him to do what that's he right. did.
1: And it and, and it took him and he went and did something horrible as a result of that. So that now that wasn't demon possession, was it? No. But that's demon oppression, isn't it? Yes. See that's the difference. So the entering can be t- to the point of taking control or it can just simply be a dramatic influence. So I I think that's an important uh, point to establish. Demons enter. That's what they do. That's what they want. Because the next point is what? Um, They control. Okay. They want to possess. They want to control. That's what they want. That's what we saw in those two examples that we read previously. They are looking for control. And folks, remember, when you are dealing with a a power that is beyond your ability to cope with, you're going to lose. It's that simple. You're going to lose. So you must rely on something that is more powerful than that which is attacking. And we're going to get to that very, very soon, I promise. If you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866 985 All we are live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. So demons enter. They possess. They want to control. What else? Um
2: power is not satisfied unless it is able to
1: control now that I th- see I think that's a very important part of this whole discussion it's not satisfied unless it's able to control think about and again I, I want to use the, the, the thought of an addiction as a for instance here um because it helps us to understand how this all works if you're addicted to something throughout you know your actions you what happens when you when you start to ignore it? It gnaws at you and it comes back at you and it bothers you and it over and it and it's on your mind until you give in to it. That's what really happens here. Let's look at Matthew twelve, verses forty three to forty five.
2: When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it wanders through waterless re- <clears throat> regions looking for a resting place, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and live there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So will it be also with this evil generation.
1: Think about this. Jesus is explaining demonic power. And, okay, when it's, it's gone out of a person, what does it want? It wants to go. It wants to go possess. It wants to go control. It wants to go manipulate. It wants to go have power.
2: But if it can't find a place to do that, what's it do? It's
1: going to look to go back to where it came from.
2: But seven times worse.
1: <laughs> so you've got to understand that when we look at something like this, there, this is this is daunting to see this unfold as as we discussed it this morning because you're dealing with something that's so much bigger than us. And and it's an unsatiable, insatiable. That's 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 the word. Insatiable desire for control. That and see, it's interesting because that's the warping of God's ability to control. See, God has the ability to control. Jesus was subservient to the will of God and is rewarded with control. These are outside of that, but they want control. And we happen to be the victims we, because we are a lower, uh, a lower um, plane of existence. We're not spiritual. We're physical. So they want power, and it's not, they're not satisfied unless they're able to control. What else?
2: Well, demons are only capable of evil.
1: That, I think, we've got to realize. They are not capable of good. Now, you know, you've heard of Satan casting out Satan. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talked about that, and he said if a house is divided like that, you know, it's going to fall at some point. So it can look good for a moment, but that's going to catch up with it. It's only capable of e- evil. Let's just review a couple of scriptures from the first hour.
2: Uh, our theme text, June 1-6, And the angels who did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change, chains in deepest darkness for the judgment of the great day.
1: All right, so they left their own position, okay? They, didn't, they voluntarily left the goodness and grace and 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 uh overruling of God for something else they left their proper dwelling, and now they are they are they are restrained in chains of darkness reserved for the judgment day uh, that means you're only capable of evil second peter
2: two four for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned but cast them into hell, which and, is tartaru tartaru that's right, and committed them to chains of deepest dark. Darkness to be kept unto the judgment,
1: and then First Peter three nineteen and twenty,
2: in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is
1: eight persons, were saved through water. All right, so they're only capable of evil. So summing up, Jonathan, the objective of demonic possession is what?
2: Um, they're to control. They are there to
1: manipulate.
2: To seize and drive that which is possessed. They do it solely for their own purposes. Never for the benefit of the one possessed.
1: Now think about that for a second. And then they're only capable of producing evil results. So this is never for the good of the one that they are influencing. Never. That's evil. See, Jonathan, good is when you, God's power. God's holy influence, God's spirit, influences us for good, Mm -hmm. for our benefit, and for the benefit of the rest of the world.
2: But Satan's tricky. Remember, Satan's followers, uh, present condition, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed
1: into an angel of light. Okay, now, pause right there. Into an angel, what's the word angel mean? It means messenger. Okay, so... Satan himself is transformed into a messenger of light. We've been talking about darkness this whole time. That's right. And yet, Satan looks like a messenger of light. Whoa. We live in an age of enlightenment, right? That's right. And yet, it's an age of darkness. How can that be? I think this scripture nails That question, Satan himself is transformed. It means he looks like he's delivering goodness and light. Now finish the scripture.
2: Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works.
1: So it's no great thing if his followers also look like ministers of goodness, of righteousness. And you say, oh, great, that's not good, and I'm glad that the scripture ended the way it was, whose end shall be according to their works. It's all going to catch up with them. Right. I mean, there, there's an end to all of this. In that day of judgment. Right. Um, and but but w-
2: how do you know the difference between that light and darkness?
1: Well, see, and that that's really where it, it, it gets to be very, very difficult here. How do you know? And you've we've got to get back to goodness and spirituality. Now, look, you know, the bad news is that demonic... Evil influence is rampant. It's everywhere. We, are, we have become so accustomed to it that oftentimes we don't even flinch when we see it. We, we, we nod our heads, oh, that's too bad. No, ah, it's worse than too bad. It's worse than that. But it's be, and, and I think that, folks, to me, that's a warning sign. Remember in the scripture, um, Jesus talking about his return. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. And the description of the days of Noah were that the thoughts of man, the imaginations of man were evil continually. Folks, where are we now? Doesn't it look like our thoughts and imaginations are evil continually? That should be, that's the bad news. Okay, now the good news is that we've got a better understanding of demonic possession here. Bad news, demons don't have to possess but they can't influence. Like Larry said, oppression versus possession. So let's go through a few more scriptures and then let's dwell on how we can be protected from such things.
2: James 2.19 Thou believest that God is one, thou doest well. The demons also believe and shudder.
1: Now let's think about that. We already know that they know that there's a a judgment coming. It says in James two. That, okay, you believe that God is one, you know, and we have one God. Good, you know, I'm clapping for you. Demons also believe that, and they shudder. So it's not enough to just be able to to acknowledge that it's there. You have to do something with that belief. They know, but yet they're on a track that doesn't look like they they can ever get off of.
2: Ephesians 6.12, I think Larry alluded to this scripture. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places.
1: This is a great scripture because it helps us to grasp the difficulty. And And if you read just that scripture, you go and say, oh boy, I'm doomed. Because that scripture gives you all of the difficulty. It's we're wrestling with these things. We are wrestling. So, so we are, have to be on our God. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against something like ourselves. But it's against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's not just rulers of a dark idea. Or a dark trend. Or a dark phase. It's the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is daunting. That's a big thing. So that's what the fight is. And you just look and say, It's hopeless. It's apple wait, hold the phone. It is not <laughs> hopeless. And that's why I said we can go through these things, but we want to dwell on the on, on, on the fix, if you will. The other thing though, Jonathan we didn't get into a lot of specifics, uh, and you had mentioned some of the specifics to me earlier in the program, uh, not uh, off the air, you had mentioned some. Yes,
2: yes. I was talking about um, the game, uh, the Ouija boards and
1: uh, dragons, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, think about that for a second, folks. What, what are we messing around with when we get involved in things like that, that actually are looking to call upon spirits? What's a spirit? It's an influence.
2: And unfortunately, It's evil.
1: Exactly. Now, see, one thing we didn't discuss here that I think is important to at least bring out, there are many instances of God's angels, God's messengers, working with human beings. Mm -hmm. The key thing in every instance when God sends an angel, the angel comes, the angel delivers the message. And goes home. And then leaves. Then they leave. It's done. It's a message from God. It's delivered. And then they go demons don't follow that practice. They hang around. They want more power and influence. God delivers the message for the good of mankind, ultimately. Even if it's a message of, of, of uh, immediate doom, it's still a message for the good of mankind, ultimately. Demonic messages are for our destruction, and there is not the process. God has a very specific process for having spiritual beings interact with us. Demons Don't follow those rules because they want power. So, how do you deal with those things? And when you're dealing with uh, tarot cards and Ouija boards and Dungeons and Dragons and all of that stuff, folks, you are opening your mind up to what? Evil. Exactly. When you open your mind to evil, what good comes of it? Nothing good. (laughs) Exactly. That's why we need to be very clear that we must draw lines in our hearts and in our minds so that we can stay as far away from the evil, because the further you are from the evil, the closer you are to the good, and that's where we're going in the next segment.
2: This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions. We'll be back right after this break.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick. We're live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Our subject this morning, Are You Your Brother's Keeper? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866
1: 985 all And Jonathan, we are talking about being our brother's keeper and how important it is. And I'll tell you, there's an awful lot of stuff here that uh, you look at and say, gee, it's a pretty big responsibility. It really is. And there's a lot of ways to accomplish it. That's right. And now we're talking about we are to exhort one
2: another. And again,
1: the exhorting is, is almost a pleading to be calling someone near to you for the purpose of encouraging them, not giving them orders, but encouraging them. And uh, let, let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is another pleading.
2: I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable
1: and perfect will of God. And I beseech you, I'm pleading with you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you know what? I think that this this verse was written to those who were already uh, dedicated Christians, but weren't living up to the standards that they should have been. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. Apostle Paul is, through the book of Romans, through the letter there, he's laying out all of the reasons that their standard should be high. And in the 12th chapter, he's saying, now I'm pleading with you. Look at the things that I've just written and present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's worth it. That's what he's saying. And and let, let's read one more scripture on this point before we move on. And there's another quick little point I want to make. First
2: here. Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved. I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify
1: God in the day of visitation. So here he's saying, I'm begging you, as sojourners and pilgrims, to abstain from fleshly desires. Because they're warring against your, your spiritual life. He's saying, have your conduct honorable amongst those that you deal with, so they'll observe your good works. And the interesting thing is, he's, he's, he's saying that, you know what, they probably aren't going to give you credit for it now. But in the day of judgment is when they're going to say, I remember that. And I think this is an important thing. And the apostle is, this is Peter now, beg you. That you abstain from fleshly lusts. And Jonathan, this is interesting because, again, this is sort of a calling be d- someone to your side to to, to, to encourage them. Mm-hmm. That's what this exhorting is. What this is doing is because you're not giving someone orders, you're not telling them how bad they are, you're leaving their dignity intact. I like that. And you're just building upon their dignity rather than attacking it, perhaps if they're off, off base a little bit. And I think that's such a great... Way to understand this. Leave their dignity intact and, and plead with them to come up a little higher. Come up a little higher. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. That's toll free. 866 985 all We are live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8. Rick, let's go to point number 8. We are to consider one another consider one another and and that actually is one of the theme scriptures for our program
2: that's right and that's in Hebrews 10:24 and 25 and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting
1: one another and so much more as you see the day approaching now what does it mean to consider one another because see if you get this then being your brother's keeper is so much easier
2: It means that Strong's number 2657 means to
1: observe fully. All right. To observe fully. Now, here's something in a world of cell phones and computers and texting and tweeting and twittering and all of these other things. This is saying something entirely opposite. Instead of focusing on what I'm doing for me right now because I want to, I'm texting because it's convenient for me. This is saying, observe fully one another. It means you have to look and listen and, uh, and, and, and and take in what you're seeing so you can understand something. When you observe something fully, the, the object is to understand them. That's right. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. Let's look at a few other ways this particular word for consider is used. Matthew
2: 7, verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but
1: considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. And we've talked about this uh, a few months ago, we were talking about this scripture, and it said you need to consider the beam, the two by four sticking out your eye, you know, when you're going to remove the speck of dust in your brother's eye. It means you have to observe it fully. What Jesus is saying is you are missing the boat. You're not even observing yourself. And that's why you're in this mess of judging another inappropriately.
2: Luke twelve twenty seven. consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these.
1: Consider, observe fully the lilies of the field and how they grow. Imagine, Jonathan, if in this rushed world that we live in, we would stop and consider the flowers of the field. That
2: word selah in the Old Testament yeah, yeah. means stop and consider. Yeah. And
1: we do need to take time. Because if you consider the 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 magnificent beauty of something that small and the that detail. Simple, and it says that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these because there's a softness and a, and a, a beauty and, and, and a magnificence of creation mm-hmm. that can change the way you look at things. It's so much easier to be your brother's keeper if you stop to smell the roses first. <laughs> really, because it gets your mind in the right place. Uh, one, one more on this
2: James 1 23 and 24. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth
1: what manner of man he was. Again, the admonition there is to not forget, not to forget what we see when we look at ourselves. To consider fully, And that same way, we're supposed to be observing our brothers and our sisters for their benefit.
2: The word humility, I think, really ties into this. Um, What is the definition of humility?
1: It's an accurate assessment of oneself.
2: We're, we're to consider ourselves, our weaknesses, our strengths, and consider those around us.
1: So if we can consider ourselves hum, from a hum, uh, humility standpoint first, right. considering others ends up coming out on the right page instead of the wrong page. Absolutely. Because we're not looking to tear them down. We're looking to build them up. This is the, I mean, considering carries the thought of being considerate. To assess the whole of one's character keeps us from jumping to conclusions. See, it's so easy to look at what somebody says, or somebody does, or the end of what they said, or what they appear to be doing, and to just jump to all kinds of. Oh, look at that! That's not some kind of spiritual activity. What kind of brothers that they call themselves a Christian? On and on and on and on. Hey, ho, ho, ho! See, a, hold the hold the phone here. What we need to do is pause and consider, like you said. Consider fully, and what you end up seeing is far more than that. What an important admonition to consider one another in order to be able to be our brother's keeper. Rick, number nine. Hey, we got to number nine. I didn't think it was possible. We are to be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable. Okay, First Peter 4, verses 8 through 10.
2: And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God.
1: When you think of being hospitable, what do you think of?
2: I don't know what. (laughs) inviting someone over for dinner
1: yeah we we think of hospitality Mm -hmm. and when you go into a uh uh, into a hotel Mm -hmm. they usually have a hospitality department or desk yes all right and that hospitality desk or person their job is to help you to be comfortable i i forgot my toothbrush right (laughs) We can take care of that for you. I'm looking for a place to eat. Oh, here. here's the, Here are the choices in the area. Let me show you how to get to this one or that one. I want to go watch a, go see a movie at a theater. Well, here's where the theaters are. What do you have for... Inter- well, here's... That's what the hospitality individual does at a hotel. When you think of being hospitable in terms of, like you said, personally, you think about inviting somebody else over. Mm-hmm. Okay? And when you invite them over, do you let them, like, sit by themselves on a, on a chair on the front porch... Uh, Because, well, they're in the house. I mean, they're on the porch. Isn't that good enough? No, you welcome them in as a family member. Your home is theirs. And so you don't put them on the front or the back porch? No. Okay. Okay, I'll remember that next time I come to your house. If you seat me on the back porch, I'm going to know something's up. (laughs) (laughs) But I think hospitality, those are the things that we think of, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that. And I think scripturally, if we can really grasp hospitality, we understand it uh, in, in, a, in a very positive manner in terms of being our brother's keeper. Let's look at a few other scriptures.
2: 2 Corinthians 9, 6-10. through 10. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, also having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work.
1: All right, so in this scripture it talks about, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. Hospitality is more than just opening the door of your house. Mm -hmm. It's opening the door of your heart and if if it's done with well actually read Romans 12:9 to 13 and i think i think Randall may have uh, alluded to the scripture at the beginning of the program
2: let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence fervent in the spirit serving the lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints,
1: given to hospitality. All right, given to hospitality. Now that given to hospitality comes right back to verse 9 that you started with. Let love with be without hypocrisy. Be kindly affectioned one to another. Hospitality is more than just saying, yeah, I'll feed you something. Mm-hmm. Hospitality, true hospitality, is the opening the door of your heart to someone and letting them come in and treating them like your own, treating them like they're something and somebody very important to you. You know, we did a program years ago. I don't know if you remember this about uh, the poem about uh, Jesus coming to your house for a day. Oh, yes. And, and we read it and we looked through it and how would you act and what would you do? And because, you know, for us, who's, who would be the most important person? Our Lord. Absolutely. And so if Jesus comes to your house for the day, you're going to be as hospitable as you possibly can and pour out your heart. Well, this is how we ought to be our brother's keeper. Can you imagine the value that someone gets when you do that? I I know that because I've been treated that way by many, 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 many people. And you, you feel so... Tied into them because of that of that willingness to be giving like that. Well one more scripture on this, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap up here.
2: Titus one, seven through nine. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self willed, not quick tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober minded, just, holy, self controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to c- convict those who contradict.
1: Now, this is interesting. We were talking about this earlier in the program. Remember the, 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 uh, the, those who are in a position to lead the flock. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's giving qualifications. And it's saying they're not supposed to be self-willed or quick-tempered or given to wine or violent or greedy for money. The first thing that is in contrast with all those things is what? Be hospitable. All right. A lover of what is good. And see, so the the being hospitable is also being defined by what follows. A lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. That's all part of being hospitable. And I think if we understand that, it's so much easier to be our brother's keeper. So, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up, being our brother's keeper is a big job. It is. There's lots of ways to express it, and we've gone through nine points. We won't take the time to read them all right now, but some of the highlights I think that are important here is to maintain a, a civility, first of all. You have to start from us being civil with one another. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to be giving to one another. Yes. We have to be willing to take the great liberty that we've been given and to uh, use it for the benefit of others. I mean, there's a, there's a novel idea. Use the goodness that you've been given to benefit others. It comes back to you later. We need to be able to consider one another, like you consider the lilies of the field and how they grow and the, and the mercies of God. If we do all of these things on a regular basis and we reach out, you know what? Stop being in such a hurry. Open the door for someone. Let them go through and then let them get ahead of you in line. That's putting somebody else first. That's being our brother's keeper in a small way, and from there it can grow to bigger ways. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We'll be back again next week. But until then, we are our brother's keepers. Think about it.